0: Thank you.
1: Uh, Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the January 12th edition of the Whitecliffs Committee Reuse uh, Committee meeting. Uh, Purpose of the day is to meet with two of the respondents to the RFP uh, and get, get some more additional information from them that we didn't get through the written materials uh Brett Pelletier all the way to my right is going to be the master of ceremonies this morning we as a committee have provided to him a number of questions in advance and those have been provided largely to the uh, respondents and that's kind of what we're going to go through today the committee members themselves have been asked to sort of limit themselves to one question each to the extent that they're capable of doing that Um, and that's what I think for the only ground rules that we have for today. I don't believe we're going to be looking for any public input on anything. It's really just to give the respondents a chance to uh tell their story. Um with that, Brett, I think it's all over to you.
2: Great. Thanks very much. Thank you all for being here. Um very simple agenda. We're basically just going to go through formal introductions. I think the committee is going to introduce themselves, staff will point themselves out. Um, The respondent will uh, introduce whenever they'd like to introduce. You'll have an opportunity to do your presentation We'll do questions and answers and uh, And that'll be that you'll have an opportunity to do closing remarks if you have anything else to um, And what just so you know the process going forward We'll have an opportunity the committee will have an opportunity to do a little thinking by the end of the day tomorrow Send me any questions in writing that they have from follow-up I'll send those to you by the end of the day tomorrow, and you'll have a in a week or so to get back and if there's anything outstanding. And that'll be the conclusion of our back and forth, hopefully. Sound good? Wonderful. Um, do we want to just go down the line and introduce ourselves so everybody knows who, who – I'm, I'm Brett Pelletier. I'm the town's consultant on the RFP process and the white Whitecliffs reuse.
1: Sure. Uh, I'm Todd Helwig. I'm the – I'm going to say beleaguered chair of the committee. but <laughs> It really isn't that hard. So. Um, that's me.
3: Go ahead. Oh, Julianne Hirsch. I represent the Board of Selectmen.
0: I'm um, Noel Corbin. I represent the Historical Commission.
4: Tom
2: Reardon. I'm a member at large.
5: Diana Nicholas. I'm also a member at large.
2: And we have some staff in the audience.
5: I'm Laurie Connors. I'm the Planning Director.
0: Uh, Scott Charpentier, DPW Director. Uh,
2: Sean Thompson, Facilities Manager. You're on.
6: Instruction is that whoever's presenting should stand here. Is that...?
2: Yeah. And if you want to turn the microphone in your general direction, that probably would help. Okay.
6: All right. Can everyone see me and hear me? Okay. Wonderful. Um, Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Caitlin Madden. I'm the Executive Director of Metro West Collaborative Development. Um, We are very excited to be here today to uh, talk to you about our proposal for the redevelopment of the White Cliffs Mansion. Um, I just want to start by saying um, that we applaud the efforts of the town to save this um, historic resource, and we really see um, an affordable housing proposal as an opportunity to leverage public resources to help in the preservation of this iconic historic structure, while also adding the additional community benefit of providing much-needed affordable housing. Um, okay, so okay. Um, So, like I said, I'm Caitlin Madden, Executive <coughs> Director. Um, I am joined today by Derek Hansen, our Senior Real Estate Manager, um, and also our esteemed um, Architects and um, Historic Consultants. And I will let Cliff and Maureen, if you all want to introduce yourselves and your firms.
7: I'm Maureen Cameron with the Public Archaeology Laboratory. Cultural resource <clears throat> firm based in Pawtucket. Um, and we are a staff of about 40 architectural historians, planners, and archaeologists, and we do um, cultural resource documentation, survey, uh, preservation plans, historic tax credits. Um, so I'm familiar with the programs. So in my earlier career, I was um, the head of review at Massachusetts.
8: I'm Cliff Bomer. I'm a principal at David Square. Architects were a firm that was founded in 1984. Our specialty for all these years has been primarily working with not-for-profit organizations, developing affordable housing. Uh, a huge part of our history has been working in the city of Boston and other communities uh, developing uh, housing a lot of adaptive reuse and renovation of historic buildings. So it's something that uh, our office has been doing for many, many years. Uh, I think Maureen and I probably could not count the number of projects that we've worked together on, but it's been many, many, many projects over a, a lot of years. Well, I'm a little
9: bit of a job captain,
6: i need this Okay, great, and I just wanna highlight um, One project that um, I worked on with Maureen, because I think it's relevant here, Um, we worked together on the historic adaptive reuse of 48 Boylston Street, which was the last remaining example of high Victorian uh, Gothic architecture in the central business district of Boston. Um, And there we were able to convert the structure into 46 units of 100% affordable housing and some um, commercial space. And we use both state and federal historic tax credits, um, and that building was individually listed on the National Register of historic places. So, uh, great example of, of our work. Um, if you could back up just one more uh, second, Sorry. thank you. Um, I just also want to uh, call out our attorney and our development consultant and our property management team. Um, So at Metro West, we work with some of the most um, well-respected and experienced um, consultants in this um, area of work. So our attorney is Wat Matsuyasu with Klein Hornig. We work with a development consultant, Wendy Cohen with New Seasons Development. She really helps us um, get projects through um, the closing process. Um, And we have a third-party, very experienced uh, property management firm, um, Maloney Properties, who we would propose to be our manager. Okay, I'm just gonna tell you a little bit more about Metro West Collaborative Development and who we are, and then we're gonna go um, into more detail of our proposal, which is what I'm sure all of you are most interested in. Um, So Metro West Collaborative Development, we are a 30-year-old nonprofit community development corporation. Um, We were founded in Watertown, and we currently have a 25-town target area in the West Metro region of Boston. Um, We are also a community housing development organization, um, which is a designation um, by HUD, uh, which says that we have the capacity to build, own, manage affordable housing. Um, It also gives us um, special access to certain types of funding for our projects. Um, So we are focused on affordable housing, um, and we advocate for affordable housing and work in this space in many ways. We advocate for affordable housing policy. We connect people to affordable housing and we build affordable housing. Um, So just very quickly on our non-development housing-related work, uh, we are the consultant to the Asabit Regional Housing Consortium where we provide technical assistance to towns who may not have um, in-house planning staff who have an expertise in affordable housing. Um, We also run a Ready Renter program, which provides housing search assistance for folks who are looking for opportunities in our region. Um, I believe many of you probably know that affordable housing opportunities are few and far between um, in our region, so we provide direct assistance to folks who are looking for opportunities and help them through the process. Uh, We also act as a lottery agent, a housing monitoring agent. Um, We were the recipients of a newton Wealthy Hospital grant, um, which was Uh, provides eviction prevention assistance and direct financial assistance to folks. Um, Through the course of the pandemic, we also administered almost $6 million in emergency rental assistance to help people keep people housed. And we assist towns with creating housing production plans. So I just wanna highlight some of our development experience. Um, So we currently have a portfolio of 110 units located in Watertown medway and norwell um, we have an additional 127 units in our current development pipeline um, medway which you see in the, the larger picture here and a rendering on the left um, is a two-phase project in medway massachusetts the first phase was 44 units of family housing second phase um, excuse me first phase was 48 units the second phase 44 units of 100 percent affordable housing Um, We were also selected through a competitive RFP process as the developer for a former police station site in Hudson, Massachusetts, where we have proposed 40 units of new construction um, rental family housing. And last but not least, we were also selected as the developer for the West Newton Armory, a historic structure with a new construction component uh, through a competitive RFP process again. um, And we are proposing 43 units of intergenerational 100% 100% affordable housing there as well, um, and DSA, as you can see, is working with us on both Hudson and the Armory, and Maureen's team is also working with us on the Armory. Okay, thank you. I'm going to pass it off to Derek to run through our proposal.
10: Thank you. Okay, so the uh, the centerpiece of our proposal and the new property would be the historic. Uh, preservation of the Whitecliffs Mansion. Um, one of the key things that we wanted to do when we started looking at how we are gonna uh, set up the site was maintain the historic site lines from Main Street, um, which is why you'll see that the building is positioned behind the uh, historic structure. Um, as part of our preservation, um, any of the architectural elements that we're touching are going to be um, under the purview of the Secretary of the Interior's standards for rehabilitation of historic properties. Um, and then additionally, because we're using historic uh, tax credits from the federal government and the state government, there'll be the, it'll be administered by the National Park Service and the Massachusetts Historical Commission. So we will have, in addition to Maureen's team, uh, we'll have two additional agencies that will be reviewing all of the historic preservation work that happens as part of the uh, renovation. One of the key elements that we want to uh, improve in the structure as it exists now is to increase the efficiency of the operation of the building. So we think there's a good opportunity to improve the insulation and weatherization of the envelope, which we'll look to do, as well as uh, improve the mechanical systems. So high efficiency heat pumps, things like that, could really bring down the cost of running the building. Um, In addition, we want to bring the structure back to its uh, historic footprint and remove the 1900s additions. Um, And then we want to use the first floor of the building as community access space, as well as potentially the management office, and then have residential units on the upper floors of the building. In order to make all of this happen, uh, we need to include an intergenerational affordable housing project on the property. Fortunately, it's a seven-acre site, uh, and it's a seven-acre site that benefits from some uh, topological features that help us out here. We are at the top of a hill with substantial tree cover, um, so that makes the view from Main Street of the 52-unit building uh, less than it might otherwise be. We're also planning to do three stories, uh, which is similar to the size of the structure on Main Street. I think it's one. Uh, one East Street or one Main Street, this commercial structure down the hill. Um, and then we would use some uh, massing reduction features such as a sloped shingle roof for dormers to help make it fit into the context of the neighborhood. Uh, we would also be proposing an all electric building in order to uh, make the addition of future renewable resources uh, better for the property. And we would be pursuing other ambitious sustainability goals. For example, on our <coughs> Hudson and Medway Phase Two projects. We are pursuing passive house. Um, the passive house certification is really the gold standard as far as um, efficiency goes, and we make we would look at something similar to that here. Additionally, since we are envisioning this as an intergenerational housing complex, we want to make sure that uh, access to the property, um, in particular, in particular, the new construction. Uh, is really at the highest level. So we're going to be using what are called universal design principles to make sure that uh, while not every unit itself will be accessible, there will be, it will be visible throughout the building and then we'll also have uh, lots of other elements that just make it very easy for someone with limited mobility to get around. Uh, additionally, we think that we can maintain a lot of the open space that already exists since uh, a key part of the property will be placed on what is now the, um, the paved parking lot behind the <coughs> existing structure. And to speak a little bit more about all of that, I will ask Cliff to come up and give us some of the design elements.
8: Hi, um, I'm gonna you speak, sorry, go to the next slide. I, I, I wanted to give a little bit of a window into what I anticipate, or how the process could go. Uh, I think all of you have really demonstrated a commitment that I think is really unusual—the de- degree which you, your community has embraced this project and, and has literally invested in it. So I think we, we see our role as working very closely with you to see where you think this should go, what types of what you think would be a compatible type of building. We, of course, need to uh, uh, get everything through the park service and uh, ensure that we get the funding that we need, but you've invested so much in it already. Uh, we don't have a canned solution. So uh, this slide we're calling this concept images because uh, you know our, our role is all ears, get a dialogue going, listen to the thoughts you've had, and, and put into your put into the development already. We've done a lot of historic uh, projects. so And they're not the same. No, no two of them are ever the same. Uh, so these are just images. That I think we did think probably a sloped roof solution, given that we're not very close, wouldn't be uh, very near the other buildings, so we wouldn't set up a kind of competitive language. But these are some examples. that. Uh, of contrasting Village Hill is family housing out in Northampton it has actually it's on a large the old uh, hospital site in Northampton there are some historic buildings on that site but this was not historically driven it didn't get historic tax credits but it has a kind of uh, almost romanticism to it the village at Meadowview was actually a hud 202 uh, senior <clears throat> housing development they were very keen on it having a very home-like feeling even though there are a lot of units in that building the one in the middle is is uh, was developed by house of hope that's relatively new uh, that we restored a, a historic building that's on the street and then build a very kind of plain looking flat roof building behind it and that's really the way the, the local Commission wanted us to drive that one uh, So that's why we're calling it concept images. We don't have a cooked version at this point. We know the kind of volume and and unit mix and and components of the building that we think need to be there to make the program work. But we don't know what this thing will look like. The next image is just uh, some other pictures. uh, We could go to the next slide. of The variety (coughs) of housing. I, I put the south end apartments. You're working as an affordable housing architect in Boston. Uh, you really need to know how to deal with historic properties and local commissions. The South End Landmarks District Commission is, has a reputation for being pretty tough and rigorous. And we've done uh, over 200 buildings in the South End, uh, you know, brownstone buildings. Historic South End Departments was one of many of the projects that we had done in the South End. We pretty much always have something going there. Uh, Alaska Street was developed by Caritas Communities. It it, uh, took a historic home and converted it into SRO units. Uh, It was a a big project. The building was in absolutely horrible condition. And we rebuilt that. The Carter School is a, a recently occupied. That building was in the absolute worst condition. The roof had fully collapsed in the building. We couldn't even go in the building safely to design it. But at the end of the day, there was a lot of community uh, concern, skepticism about the ability to really preserve this resource. Uh, But working with Maureen and many others, we did it, and uh, everybody is pretty happy at the end of the day of preserving that piece of the community. Uh, Michaela is here to just talk a little bit more about what was driving the design in the site plan that we did provide with the materials. So I'll introduce Michaela. Good morning. So, um, as Derek already mentioned, uh, we are proposing to remove the late addition to the building
9: that are shown in the dashboard. With the intent to program
4: a public community space and offices on the first floor and residential units on the upper floor. Excuse me. Excuse me. Is that microphone? Can you detach that and have the person wear it? It's, uh, it's just. Not. It's just for Todd. Todd.
2: <coughs> There's no speaker system. It's just for the broadcast. Todd, to hear. Anyway, sorry, McKay. <laughs> um.
9: And so tucked to the north corner of the site, we are introducing a 45,000-square-foot, three-story, multi-family uh, building with one, two, and three bedroom units. And we have located it here, partially because the site is relatively flat here, but also um, we felt that it would be the least impactful on the site, and we wanted to maintain views Some of the site design includes a tot lot play area uh, next to the existing mansion. Oh, sorry, I had to go back. Thank you. Um, as well as a covered walkway that connects the existing building to uh, the new uh, construction. And although the natural grade and windlands create a barrier uh, around the site, we also are proposing to introduce uh, trees and uh, evergreen screening as an additional buffer between the neighbors and uh, the new building. And I'll just briefly talk talk about parking. Um, So to reduce the impact on the site, um, we are proposing to maintain much of the existing drive and parking that exists, uh, but resurface it. And we will introduce a new parking lot of 25 spaces to the north end of the site, as well as a permeable fire lane around the building. And then, a drop-off
10: turning uh, between the two buildings and some additional parking. Um, Alright, so I wanted to speak briefly about the affordability that we're targeting at Whitecliffs. Um, so, we are a nonprofit, 100% affordable developer, and this is a 100% affordable development. Um, So we have a mix of 30% AMI units as well as 60% AMI units. Uh, That is extremely low income and very low income. Uh, And an idea of what a household would be earning uh, in order to qualify for that is on the right side. So, for example, somebody in a household of three individuals at 60% AMI would be earning under $60,000 to qualify for the units. Next slide, please. So uh, a, a key benefit, I think, of our proposal is that we have done this kind of work before. This team has worked together to do this kind of work before. Uh, so we think that it's a very reliable proposal that this will actually get done. Uh, now, that reliability does come with a slower schedule than you might see from a private developer. Uh, and that is primarily driven by the funding award rounds that DHCD runs. So these are... Uh, Timed basically competitions where the Department of Housing and Community Development awards uh, a select number of projects all of their the tax credit money and other monies for the year. The uh, initial award round is in January of uh, each year when new projects will be admitted in uh, and they may award half of the projects uh, that come in that round. So, best practice for the industry is to assume that you will not be funded in the first round and that it will take until your second application, which would be the following January to be funded. There is a uh, kind of halfway step, which is what happened in our Hudson project, where we were admitted into what's called the mini round in September. That's for projects that are deemed to be highly ready to proceed. And in that case, we would basically advance the schedule by six months. So that's why you see here, uh, starting in May, uh, 24, 25, um, because while we would hope we would be awarded in the January of the first year that we apply, it is best practice to assume it will take another year. And that's purely based on the amount of competition for the tax credit funding that exists. Uh, Now, that being said, they will be giving a lot of resources to the project, as you can see from the budget. um, We're targeting about a $24 million total development cost, um, which is split, as you can see here, But in order for us to access those resources, um, we do need to go through their process, which takes a bit of time. Next slide, please. This is a breakdown of how the funding would come into the project. Um, So you can see that the vast majority is through the low-income housing tax credit, which is administered by DHCD on behalf of the federal government and the state government. Um, We also have a substantial slug of money from the historic tax credits, which uh, would be used exclusively for renovating the uh, historic house and gets that additional oversight of the historic features that we discussed earlier. We would also have a typical permanent mortgage uh, from one of our lenders, perhaps Mass Housing Partnership is one we use often. Um, And then there's a slew of other uh, alphabet soup type agency or programs that will fill in the rest of the funding. We do also expect and hope that we could get some money from the local community preservation fund Um, One key benefit in our eyes for that request for this project is that there are three buckets uh, that basically CPC funds can be used for. Uh, Often we are targeting just affordable housing uh, because there's a set aside for that. But in this case, we think we could actually check all three boxes, which is the historic preservation, certainly affordable housing, and perhaps even the open space. So that would actually allow you to access more of the CPC funds than you might otherwise be able to just for affordable housing. Next slide, please. Uh, So, our preference for most all of our projects is to go through what's called a friendly 40B process. Um, So, basically, Chapter 40B is a state zoning regulation that allows an affordable development that meets certain criteria to put an application into the Zoning Board of Appeals. Uh, And if approved, that will subsume all other local regulations and rules under one comprehensive. Um, things like the Wetlands Protection Act, things like building code, those are administered at a higher level uh, so they would not be affected by the comp permit. But specifically, it allows you to subsume the zoning regulations. So basically, we would put in this application to the ZBA uh, of Northborough, And once it was approved, we would have the zoning specific for our site that we needed specifically to do this project. It's a very long document, it's very uh, detailed and it lays out exactly what we're building um, and how it's going to look, how many units, all that stuff, and it would be agreed with the ZBA. Once we have that, which is a, a critical step in the eyes of the DHCD, we would be able to apply for the funding. So we would go through that process basically all in the first year after you, um, hopefully, selected us for the development. There is potentially another path that uh, is not necessarily our preference and may be more difficult on your side, but could potentially have a benefit for you if this is something you're thinking about already, and that's the MBTA community zoning. Uh, We know that Northborough needs 50 acres of land to be designated for that. Um, It is possible that this seven-acre site could be helpful, um, but it would probably be a more elaborate process to make that happen. All right. (coughs) <coughs> and I think the last thing that I want to talk about was how this project aligns with the goals of the master plan. So uh, the key things that we think we advance from our proposal are listed on the left side. In particular, I want to highlight uh, goal housing goal 2-4, uh, which is that the town incorporate more housing into downtown that will attract residents and support the area's economic viability. Um, we do believe that the addition of the 52 units downtown within walking distance and on the sidewalk from uh, the downtown area would be helpful both from supporting the local business uh, from the resident's spending, as well as potentially adding to the employment pool that those local uh, employers can draw from. And uh, I just really enjoyed the quote that you have as your um, vision statement here, so I put that up as well. Uh, we are going to be preserving the historic site adding housing stock that supports uh, long-standing residents and new arrivals. And we will strive to have a high degree of sustainable uh, development for the resilience of the community. And with that, I think I'll turn it over to Caitlin for those remarks.
6: Okay, so um, our intention here is to really have a collaborative process. Um, We feel like we've put forward a very compelling proposal um, but our intent is to work with the local agencies, um, local community, and um, department heads, engineering, to make sure that our proposal is appropriate um, for the site. Um, I know that um, we have a, a very strong track record of working through um, working with towns following a competitive RFP process, and I believe. Um, We've provided our references to the other towns that we've gone through this process with, and I hope that they have uh, been checked. Um, But that's a great way for you all to get a sense for um, how we really um, collaboratively manage this this process. Um, I also just want to highlight again that uh, we really view uh, affordable housing as the use here as a win-win for the community, both in terms of preservation of the existing structure and creating additional affordable housing Um, that is desperately needed at this time. Um, So with that, I'll just say uh, thank you and open it up for questions.
2: Great, thank you very much. That was very helpful. (laughs) I'll uh, just pause for everybody to get situated. So I thought I'd start off with a few questions and then we can Filter through the committee and and then round up with staff. Do um,
8: right. you mind if I grab the laptop? You do as you please.
2: Right. <laughs> and I, your references were, were called and checked, and they were glowing. Uh, and a memo went out to the the committee yesterday to reflect those remarks that were made. Um, so I'll start. Uh, the first question is, um, I think it's uh, an important one to understand. You, in your capital stack, have an $800,000 earmark for CPA funds, and you talked a little bit about how you think that would work. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit more about how that is – what what the basis of that request is, how that's beneficial to the project, and what you do if – we're not the CPC, right? So – these guys aren't the CPC, so – and we can't guarantee any um, source of funding. So. You know, always understanding what happens if that can't be delivered. What's the alternative? What's the the challenge? Does that impact the project feasibility? Does that impact your ability to secure DHCD funding, et cetera? I know that was a hundred questions in one long, um, non-punctuated sentence, but sorry. Uh, sure. So I can speak to
6: that. Um, so. Generally, um, DHCD will expect that there is a local contribution of funds to the project. Um, I understand that uh, you know the town has purchased the property. The town has already put money into the property. Um, but DHCD will still expect um, an actual contribution of, of funds into our, our budget for our proposal. Um, I think that this is a very challenging site. Um, You know, while the historic uh, preservation is very important and is key to this whole proposal, it does introduce other costs and complications um, where a new construction proposal would not. Um, So it's our, you know, we have a lot of work to do around due diligence, um, budgeting, um, to really fine-tune those numbers, but it is our sense that a local contribution of additional funds would be required the expectations aside, just to make sure that we don't have a gap in the project. Um, so I think that our intention would be, we did have an early conversation with the um, affordable leadership of the Affordable Housing um, Partnership, who I believe provided a letter of support for our, our proposal. Um, so we would work closely in the early stages around um, having those conversations about you know, timing, amounts, and expectations for those, those funds.
2: Okay, great. Thanks. Um, the other, the other, I think, um, uh, important thing to understand, for the committee to no. understand, and everyone else, is your, you know, Derek, you mentioned the the timing is different than, you know, it's not a flip of a switch, right? You've got to apply for funds, et cetera. So there's a, there could be a longish option period. Um, what typically, what does that look like from your experience with other municipalities, The this, uh, you know, for better or worse, this property is really well-preserved and it needs to stay fairly well-preserved. You know, it's not like this um, project with the roof caved in. You can just leave that to open to the elements for another six months or 12 months. It's not a really big deal. There's uh, an ongoing effort to maintain and heat and, or, or keep electricity going and plumbing and all those sorts of things and insurance and whatnot. What does that relationship look like typically in your prior experience with these sorts of assets?
6: Sure. So I think that um, that helps in our argument to the state, right? The structure is <laughs> needs immediate repair, and there's some urgency around moving quickly through the process. The state has many, many um, projects that are in that category. So how much that will benefit us is, depends on the other applications. Um, I think that at the Hudson Project, um, it's a similar situation. There's a vacant police station. Right in the middle of this beautiful neighborhood, it's fallen into disrepair. People have wanted to tear it down for, you know, years, and they're desperate to move forward. Um, after we were selected as the developer, um, we moved as quickly as would have been possible through our process in terms of um, diligence, permitting, getting our funding application into DACE. And as Derek mentioned, um, we were invited into the funding round on our first um, application, and invited, and then invited into the mini round for projects that are highly ready to proceed. Um, So for that project, we were able to move as quickly as a project could through the process. Um, I do think here um, we've got a little bit more um, diligence on the historic um, side related to coordination Mm -hmm. with the various agencies. you know, the faster um, we are designated as a developer, the faster we can kind of jump into those processes and get them going. Um, And, you know, I think we have a track record of um, if anyone can do it, we can do
2: it. (laughs) And we can do it um, efficiently. Okay. And so tying into that is, you know, you've had a You you said you've got 110 units currently, you're a 30-year-old nonprofit, and you've got 120, so you're going to double your portfolio in what I imagine has been a very short period of time, right? Um, So have you gotten into a place where you have been unable to deliver a municipal project like this, that it hasn't been funded or it hasn't gotten the approvals necessary? We have not. Okay, that's good. you want to do that? as much as possible um so that's excellent i think people you know the conversations i often have with municipalities is well what happens at the worst case scenario it doesn't get funded or it doesn't meet the standards or it doesn't some some hurdle isn't met what happens is they get returned back to the town and it's 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 good to know that you've never been in that situation that there's always a path forward or at least you've always found a path forward that, that keeps the building. Um, in the project moving forward.
6: Right, and I will say, you know, in a municipal RP process <coughs> we have never not been able to move forward. Um, I do think it, it requires genuine commitment from the town um, to help <coughs> us work through the community process and, and permitting. Um, so the town is, you know, a really important partner in this. Um, we have had more challenging situations on, you know, privately owned properties um, where there was community mm-hmm. Um that was a challenge but in
2: the municipal RFP um, process we have, we have not faced the same challenges. Okay, good. Two more questions. Um, let's stick to process. Can you talk a little bit about your – one of the things that came out in all of the interviews with your references was a very robust community outreach program that really made lot everyone's life easier go you know going through the process whether it's from the 40b process whether it's from just general community outreach or any kind Mm of um any kind of community input process Um, can you talk a little bit about how that and i and i I bring that up because that is not universal right (laughs) there are developers who come in and they bang hammers before they talk to anybody and that's different here um, so maybe you could talk a little bit about how that process works and how you envision that process working here
5: sure
6: and I think that is a process that we would work um, closely with the town to design I think where we have been successful in the past is um, and I'll also say in Northboro I know that there's been a lot of groundwork work related to the master planning effort um, and through that effort um, priorities um, from community members of the community have been identified, Um, and I think that our proposal meets a lot of those those priorities around preservation and housing and lots of the things that that Derek highlighted. Um, So what we have typically done, um, you know, once we are selected, is hold a Meet the Developer event um, where we invite members of the community, we have all of our consultant teams set up at different tables where people can come up, have a conversation with us, Learn about a proposal, ask questions, um, and it's a really great opportunity for us to to get feedback. Um, another key component of the um, community process is making sure that we're making our rounds to the various agencies, so the Historical Commission, the Affordable Housing Partnership, um, the department heads, and the engineering folks. Um, and you know, at each of those forums, that would be an additional opportunity for, for public comment. Um, so we believe in a robust community process, and we would work closely with the town to determine what exactly that looks like in this case, Um, and, you know, we pride ourselves on providing communication, Um, you know, we've set up websites for the Newton Armory, for example, where you can sign up for updates, and you get an email anytime there's an update on the project, we have our schedule laid out, um, contact information, all of that, so we try to be very accessible um, and um, open to public uh, feedback.
2: That's great. One last one last one and then I'll turn it over to the committee Um, just this is just in you 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 mentioned the first floor open for community space the second floor would be units generally speaking do you have any uh, program or plan for the basement or the third floor that was just utility and um, storage areas
6: Cliff, would you like to speak to that a little bit? I mean, I guess I'm going to re-emphasize that we're in early stages. Sure, yeah. And yeah. Um, there's a lot more diligence to be done. Absolutely. Um, I think for now, we've envisioned the basement really for mechanical space. Um, mm-hmm. And um, Cliff, do you want to speak to the, the third floor
8: placement? Second and third, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I do want to re-emphasize very schematic. Basis that they are a moment that we're in now. I mean, for example, the putting the units on the second floor. We had a conversation actually with Marie just yesterday about kind of the steps that we would have to take in researching the history of the plan of the building. Where are there appropriate places we could put up walls? Uh, obviously, we have to preserve. It. There's a tremendous amount of incredible woodwork. So exactly how that hands out, how that would lay out. I-, I can honestly say I don't know right now because we, we don't have real historic drawings, we have existing condition drawings, but we need to do research to, in the building itself. I think the basement, uh, actually I think we could, we could use that basement space if there were uh, a need to use it. Uh, most of the mechanical equipment that we're looking at, we're looking at modern heat pump systems including for the domestic hot water. So the, the kind of demands for uh, mechanical space are not the same as they used to be where you had massive boiler rooms with ladders going out in them and all of that. We we don't really need that for this building. So I would reserve judgment on the programmability of the basement. It's a, it's a really interesting cavernous uh, space. I'm sure there's a lot of history down there. Uh, but that's all I'd say at this point. No, that's great. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say that it, it's important when I, I do a lot of review of 4D developments, 4D and CD, in fact. And I would say that whatever we do with mechanicals, we'd be hugely sensitive to placement of mechanical equipment. Certainly, any roof-mounted equipment wouldn't be visible. Any ground-mounted equipment, if necessary, which may not be, would not be put in a location that would, that would uh, adversely affect it, you know, the, the views of the building.
2: So, great, thanks so much. Todd, um, I'll turn it back over to you.
1: Sure. Um, I guess my question, and this kind of follows up on one of Brett's, I, the, the time period to actually permit and build the thing, I guess that's – I appreciate that it's going to take that long, but I know the town administration is going to wonder who pays the carrying costs for the year and a half before anything actually happens. And that was going to be my question, if that's in the budget or if that's us. What your thoughts are
6: right so we have typically um actually conveyed the property um at our financing closing um so the schedule that was kind of laid out is you know we need to get through permitting um before we can submit our first funding application and then it could be a year um year and a half before we're, we're funded so um we have we would not take ownership of
1: the property um until that time so we owing oh, the cost for 18 months or so. Okay. That's
2: what I had. I...
0: All
2: right. Let's see. Yeah, and, and before, no. I just figured we'd go one question each, we'll hit staff and then come back uh, to the committee afterwards, just so we make sure we have enough time for everything.
0: That makes good sense. <clears throat> uh, when I read through your literature, you do a lot with community outreach, which is going to be critical. So, could you explain? uh, You said said a little bit about it, but I'd like a little more explanation of how you actually get the community involved face to face. uh,
6: So, that would be one of our first um, orders of business is to, if we are selected, to hold the the Meet the Developer event. um, So, to really get some early stage feedback. Um, In the past, we have worked with the town to get the list of abutters. So, the abutters would certainly be on. On that list, um, we would also be sure to advertise um, in you know local papers. If there's a local you know, Facebook group, you know, work work with folks to try to get the word out of it, about the event. Um, and we've typically held a series of events. You know, we have seen success in making rounds, getting out to the community, getting out to various agencies, taking that feedback, making tweaks to our proposal, and then making a second round with updates. Um, and, you know, I think that we are responsive to feedback. We also understand the levers that we do or don't have uh, for making modifications in terms of making sure that we can finance a project. Um, but, again, we would work with the town to make sure that we are getting in front of people at the appropriate <coughs> times and having the appropriate level of, of feedback.
0: Because the real key here is this is going to end up being a meeting. That's, you want to be way ahead of that.
3: my turn
11: yeah
3: so um a lot of your projects that you've shown us are in more um, real downtown areas with not a lot of acreage like you'll be facing with this project Um, do you have any projects that you've had to landscape so extensively and and should the project go to you does that mean that you will maintain all of the landscaping in perpetuity, or how, how does that work? That's right. So
6: the, the property, um, the way that we envision it would be um, uh, uh, conveyed uh, to Metro West CD, and we would be the long-term owner. Uh, and as part of that, we would be responsible for covering the costs of, of maintenance. Um, we have high standards in terms of maintaining our properties. We have professional third party management. Um, we understand that the, the operating budget for a property of this size um, will be higher, which represents um, another financing challenge here um, that <coughs> we're <you> know, <laughs> focusing on. Um, but I think that our intention, uh, we often work with really fabulous landscape architects who can help us find native species, um, you know, uh, built maintenance, uh, landscaping, Features um, that hopefully will reduce the amount of maintenance uh, required, um, but we understand the minority <clears> <throat> and interest in maintaining that historic um, lawn and site line. So that was would, that would be
10: yeah. And as a specific example, I'll just say that our Medway project, um, which I'm managing currently, is I believe on a four and a half, five-acre site. Mm-hmm. So it's it's similar in terms of we had to build a driveway. We built parking lots. We've had a lot of extensive landscaping for like community space and hardscape and things like that. Thank you.
4: So I had a question um, about general strategies for upgrading the White Cliffs Mansion. Um, You don't have to get specifics, but you've obviously done many in the past, and this particular building has a degraded exterior but very well-preserved interiors. So, if you've confronted buildings like this in the past, what what type of interventions and how did you do it?
8: Can we go up together? Sure. <laughs> 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 you, you want to start, have um, Some thoughts. Uh,
7: degraded exteriors. I mean, we I've worked on hundreds of historic properties through the years, and um, they're all. I mean, it's interesting. The Carter School is the exact opposite, the entire interior was gone, but the exterior, you couldn't even tell there was a problem in the building. Um, I, mean, our, I think the plan would be, which Davis Square proposed, is to take off all those sort of later appendages and then um, you know, bring it back. I mean, that's what the Park Service would require if you utilize historic tax credits is to um, you know, base it on historic research. Right, and, Hopefully, use better materials, but um, so I mean, I think it has what asbestos shingles, or it's got a lot it's of different
8: hand, materials on the exterior. Yeah. It's got some rubber, wood, but but that so that all goes away. Rubber, rubber so is on the flat. Yeah. Part. I mean, I, I think that the first step for us is we don't know what damage was done by adding the addition. So we, we really don't know, and. Um, it certainly would be wonderful to be able to get in there early and do test cuts so we can start to plan and really build a realistic budget based on what we see. But there, there, uh, your point is a good one. When we were at the walkthrough. I was looking at the stone, you know, some relatively poor stone that had been painted. How do we, what are we going to do with that? And I, I don't, you know, we don't know the answer at this point, but we certainly have to pursue whatever strategies <laughs> can't further degrade it, but I don't have a lot of answers other than I know there are going to be surprises and things that we need to do a lot of research on. I think the inside is, frankly, easier in the sense that we kind of know the worst case in a sense, and Maureen, tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm thinking like sprinkler systems, the worst case is we have to run exposed pipes because we haven't found a good way to conceal it without really destroying fabric. Uh, see, worst case is you run the exposed pipes and paint them to match the, the trim, which we've done in a lot of South End buildings, but it's not what they did at Symphony Hall. You know, Symphony Hall installed a sprinkler system and concealed everything, so it, it, the details really matter. Um, it, I mean, it, it, as you know from working with historic buildings, or if you have,
7: every there's always surprises. This building, I think, is going to have a lot of them. But once the sort of the exterior is understood better, um, it'll be. A, I mean, will be a sensitive, sensitive rehab to meet to meet all the standards it needs to meet.
8: Yeah, and including accessibility. You know, it isn't just fire protection. You know, it's all the life safety systems, but it does need to be accessible. We've done it a lot of different ways. <laughs> sometimes mainly using landscaping. To, to find a level where you can go sensitively in the building. Other times, uh, preserving everything on the outside and putting the lift further d- you know, deeper in the building. There are A lot of ways of doing it, we know we have to do it. Um, but we just, you know, we haven't, we don't have the information at this point. I wanted to add one quick thing to just, because uh, Caitlin's point about the engagement with neighbors, I mean, trip, one way that we've done a lot of is engagement with neighbors about landscaping. And because neighbors have a lot of opinions. You know, They have existing landscaping on their site. There's landscaping on our site that they may have relied on. Uh, what we usually do is we do a pretty thorough survey of the existing landscaping so we can have ideas about where it may have to be supplemented. If it's all deciduous, we may have to supplement it with, with some evergreen plantings. But It's a great opportunity for engaging with uh, the neighbors, and it's something that really means something to them on a very personal level. Uh, And I I think we do that on every project, particularly in the 40B world, which is a very open public process.
12: So, the last question. Um, Thank you all for a very impressive presentation. My question's really for all three entities, and that is, do you have the capacity to do the work? Um, Things are very busy, and this would, you know, jump into your 2023 workload very quickly. Is this something you feel that you have the resources for?
6: I can start with Metro West. Uh, (laughs) Great. The answer is yes. Um, So we are... um, As far as our pipeline goes, we have sort of the the perfect opportunity for our next project right now. Um, We are submitting our first funding application for the Newton Murray project next week. Um, Our Hudson project has already received a funding award, so we have um, a spot in our pipeline for our next funding application. Um, So for us, it would... um, Yes, we have the capacity and it would be an important part of our our pipeline um, and we would certainly be able to provide the um, attention that's required for for this project.
8: Time for my swearing in here. (laughs) 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 The the good news about attenuated projects is that it's not the same effort the whole time and the initial phases of this need careful attention, they they don't need zillions of hours, they need real focus. And we have a 30-person firm, Uh, everybody who would have their hands on this project would have experience on working on similar projects. And so, yes, we we do have the capacity, we we, uh, uh, I don't know how many projects we have in the office right now, we have a lot of projects, and I think we have a very good record of all of our projects on track, and delivered on time.
7: And I'll just say that they all of a
6: And I just, I wanna add one um, comment here uh, that is a recent change that could uh, impact the timeline here. Um, so we have a new governor, um, and we, she has a pretty ambitious housing plan. Um, and we don't know how that might impact, you know, what has been the schedule during the previous administration. Um, there are additional funding sources available right now that need to be used within a specific time timeframe. Um, so there might be a more accelerated schedule than we've seen in the past. Um, but again, that's
9: that's a little bit of a, a question mark.
2: Um, so now we'll turn it over to, to staff if you guys have any questions, feel free to.
5: I do have a, a concern about the second floor. So the second floor is very ornate. So it has stained glass windows, it has uh, decorative plaster elements, carved uh, woodwork. And I'm having a difficult time envisioning the second floor uh, being used as affordable housing without stripping out those design elements. So could you speak to that? and? Is there any opportunity to maybe envision the second floor as something else?
8: Uh, I'll, I'll give a quick answer there. U- utilizing the, the sources that we're imagining, there's no plan where we would strip out. The the Carter School is a good example. I mean, we did a lot of rebuilding and replication, but we wouldn't really be able to do that. To, when I was talking about reestablishing, or understanding the history, we, we want to know what really is the most important part of that history. But it wouldn't be an option under the funding program to, to really strip it out. A challenging aspect on, on that floor, um, perhaps, but we've done many, many units that have absolutely stunning uh, trim and, and uh, moldings. It, we have to preserve it. I think insulating is going to be an interesting question. I'm imagining the only way we're going to be able to do it is uh, uh, blowing in, you know, finding uh, avenues where we can blow in into the stud pockets. Uh, There's too much, the density of of trim. uh, uh, Of all types of trim on the interior is too great to be able to take it off and then put it back on, which which is doable. That happens in lots of developments. I don't think it's possible, you're, you're, you're right, it's just too much stuff, and we have to keep it all.
6: And I, I will say, you know, part of our early work and uh, diligence, if, if we're selected, would be to get back into the building and really, you know, look at that second floor. Um, I think there's a chance that Um, There might be less space than we originally thought that would be appropriate for units, in which case maybe we're adding a unit or two to the new construction structure. Um, But as soon as you start carving out residential space within the mansion itself, you can sometimes reduce the housing-related funding sources that are available. So we have to kind of walk thread that needle a little bit, but it could be that it's determined that certain
2: spaces But then the second floor you know, might not be
0: appropriate for a unit. Scott? Uh, quick question about the, the startup of the project and the soft costs. You've been talking about the funding timelines, um, uh, tax credits, and some CPC local funding. Mm-hmm. How do you plan on funding the, the early research that your architect's going to do? Um, land surveys and the like in order for you to have something to present to the funding agencies.
6: Right. So we um, we base the situation on all of our, our projects. Um, so we uh, have very trusted lenders who provide our pre-development um, funding for projects. Um, so we would apply for a loan to fund the pre-development activities related to due diligence. Um, and you know, on many projects that can be up to a million dollars before we actually, you know, close on the financing for the project. Um, So we have experience um, and existing relationships where we can access those funds and that is something that Metro West would would take on as a loan. Mm
2: -hmm. Awesome. Great. Um, One last round for the committee and we'll
1: Um, I guess I, when I saw the design, and I saw it was in some of the questions Brett had prepared before. It seems like a lot of parking. Is that because of the, the zoning requirements, or...? Sure.
6: So there's a lot of existing parking, as I'm sure you all know. Um, so we were trying to um, take advantage of, um, reduce the disturbance on-site, and take advantage of some of the existing parking lots. So we chose not to modify the, the lower lot, um, you can admission the site, um, and then... Uh, Yeah, it's probably too small for you to see, Um, (laughs) but we're planning to maintain the existing lot on the lower section of the site, and then um, modify or create new parking that's closer and more accessible to the housing units. Who
1: would Um, use that? (coughs) The lower parking lot's pretty far away from the...
6: Right, so I think we're really envisioning it as overflow parking. Um, So, if there are community events happening in uh, the historic home, that could be an opportunity for parking. It could also be staff support parking for the management team, Um, you know, when the landscapers come, they could park their trucks there. Um, We do think that the number of parking spaces that we have proposed that are closer uh, to the residential construction uh, building, it's an appropriate parking ratio uh, for the number of units that we're proposing.
10: yeah, so the number of the, uh, the ratio in the RFP response is 1.5. That actually doesn't include the 22 spaces in what we're calling the overflow lot because we thought the same thing. The residents aren't going to really park there. Um, so we didn't want to get rid of existing <coughs> parking in a suburban location because that would be not something <laughs> we typically expect people want to see happen. Um, but 1.5 we feel is a very appropriate ratio for the residents uh, and then we have 22 additional spaces if we need them
4: okay thanks could I follow up on the parking question but it's not in conformity with our bylaw in terms of the number of spaces required so is this something that falls under 40b
10: yep exactly so you get an
4: exemption for parking
10: yep so the the comprehensive permit would basically say what you have in your bylaw and then it would say what we're proposing, and it would say that we're allowed to do what we're proposing. So project. what
4: if we already have 10% affordable housing in town?
10: Uh, then that means that we can't go to the through the appeal process if you reject the application. That's why it's called a friendly 40B. You only move forward with these projects mm-hmm. if the town is a willing partner in the project. And I say partner as in collaborative, not actually a like entity.
4: So I think Northborough does have over 10% affordable housing.
10: You do. Yep.
6: Right, and I think you know part of our argument here is that um, there is still need. um, You know, even though the threshold has been met, Um, I know that new census numbers are coming out soon, which may impact um, the percentages. Um, And you know, we're providing a, a pretty unique. Mm-hmm. level of affordability here that I think is probably a, a, a really unmet need in the community and can allow, allow people to remain here who maybe are downsizing and want to stay in town, but they can't. <laughs> um, or folks who maybe have moved out of town, grew up here, but had to move out of town because they couldn't afford to live here, but would love to move back if there was an apartment that was available to them. So I guess, you know, checking the 10% box is is an important thing, but uh, there's the, the need. Uh, remains, um, and we're, we're proposing a really you know
0: um, level of affordability here. All right, I'll take one more question. Let's see, this is from Ma- Maureen. I when I read when I read through the document, I didn't see any references at all to the preservation, uh, uh, not preservation restriction. Excuse me, mm-hmm. the uh, National Register nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, It's nowhere in here. And my understanding is we have to be on the National Register in order to get some of these tax breaks. Am I I correct with that?
7: Correct. The federal tax credit requires that the building to ultimately be listed on the National Register within 30 months of a project being completed. Um, And the state program requires that the building be determined eligible by the Massachusetts Historical Commission.
0: Because right now the, the state has said that it it's not eligible, I have a letter saying that it's not eligible because of all the additions, Right. and I'm in the process of putting my property on as a national register, and I'm into the second year, and I think I got another third year because they are so backlogged. Oh, I know. So That's I don't know, happened. I'm you know, I, 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 looking at the timeline, and I'm trying to understand how do you, you may get preference over me, which I would expect, but how do you <laughs> cram that in so that the things, are, things are following through? I just uh...
7: Well, the first step would be um, to, there is an inventory form on file at Mass Historical Commission, yep. it would be to update that inventory form with some more robust research on Wesson and on the architect and um, sort of the, how it fits into the, the development of Northborough, and then to get it to be found eligible. I mean, we have a project right now where MHC found something not eligible, and we asked it to go on to the Park Service, and the Park Service found it was eligible. So, um
0: there are other avenues,
7: essentially. I mean, you have to go through the MHC yeah. to get to the Park Service. Um, yep. I think they sent it down with a neutral recommendation. Um, I, I, so that, so that's, we wouldn't, you know, the historic tax credit can't really even be put into a pro forma until we know that the building's eligible for the National Register. And once it's eligible, then the, you just have to go through the process of getting it listed. I mean,
0: so eligibility is the criteria, not that it's actually right. listed. You have to be found eligible. Yeah.
7: That's the... First part. It's a three-part application. The part one is is it eligible. Part two is what are you doing. Part three is what it look like when it's done.
8: Thank
7: you. I um, I also just want to um, address about the interior trim. I mean, we've worked we've worked on a lot of projects that you know they're the good, the bad, and the ugly. But um, we just worked on the Worcester Courthouse, and I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a there's three different stages of development from the 18th, 19th, 20th century there, um, and we uh, Trinity Financial rehabbed it for uh, mixed income housing. And everything in that building need to be retained. There are units that have judges' benches in them. <laughs> There's they're, one that has, a, yeah, I'd, one I'd has a, you know, a jail cell it. in it. Um, <laughs> or you know, a holding cell. So um, but good. everything, every coffered ceiling, every you you name it. I mean it has way more than than white Cliffs, um, and everything was retained and just actually it's completed now. So it can be done
1: i have to have a follow-up question but if you have one now's the time
5: I
12: have one. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your construction procurement do you have like a handful of trusted contractors do you work with them before the bid what does that look like
6: sure so we have um, a really um, experienced pool of contractors um, with whom we work uh, right now we are in construction on a project in medway um, and delbrook jks is the contractor there um, they are very well-respected, do a lot of affordable housing work in this region, Um, and we typically do bring on a general contractor for pre-construction services, so they work hand-in-hand with us to walk the building, look at the site, give us early-stage estimates based on comps, um, help us understand um, the numbers, Um, and then we typically can either negotiate a contract with that contractor based on competitive bids from subcontractors or we put the project out to bid um, for competitive bidding at a later stage when the design is developed. Um, so we have a couple of ways we do it. We have really experienced folks who we work with and um, I'm sure would be eager to work with us on this project. Um,
12: I, that's that's great. I mean, I think this is a project that's ripe for pre-con, so. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. I have a question. Jill. So.
3: Um, could you give some examples of how you have worked it out with towns or cities that say, for example, in 75 years, Metro West merges with somebody else and um, you know you might wanna uh, sell the property. What? How do you, uh, are, are those individually set up legally or how?
6: Right, so we would, um on our projects, we have typically 11 different sources of financing um, and um, lots of eyes on all of the documents and lots of folks who are interested in ensuring that we can't develop the project and then sell it and you know, uh, get rid of the affordability restrictions. So as part of our closing process, um, we would have long-term agreements uh, around the affordability estric- restrictions. Typically, we have restri- restricted um, to affordability and perpetuity. Um, and if Metro West were to um, uh, go out of existence, which is not going to happen, um, <laughs> there would well, you long. might get bought up. You know, merge, uh, Right. right. Yeah. So it would be a long process of working with all of our, our lenders and the state agency um, about, you know, making sure that that is an appropriate uh, next step. But um, that has not happened on any of our projects and not something that we
3: Are there any agreements we could look at that, that you've, you, you know, like in Medway, did you, is there something that says if if the property needs to be sold, if the town has first dibs or anything, are there any contracts we could look at?
6: Um, yeah, and I think that, um, yes. And uh, we could provide some examples and I wish our attorney was here to speak to, a little bit more to that concern cause it's you know, one
1: that comes up a lot, and the documents do um, address it, so I'd be happy to provide. Well, remember, we have a – if they're getting – they already have to some extent uh, – preservation funds, there's going to be a historic – there's going to be a number of historic preservation restrictions on the property already Mm -hmm. so that if they were to go bankrupt or the property gets sold, those are still going to have a hand in whatever happens by virtue of those documents.
6: That's and right. so and historic the historic restriction
2: and the affordable housing restriction with, with and, uh, would carry with the land. be a deed restriction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just anecdotally, it's in Massachusetts anything that's financed with low-income housing tax credits or any other, you know, quasi-public debt source it's very difficult to unwind those ar- arrangements, and they're multi-layered typically. So, um, that's a policy decision to try to keep affordable housing affordable for. A long time if not forever um, and so generally speaking the capital stack that you've put together and the funding sources you've outlined those are going to be that's top on their priority list is to make sure affordability for a long period of time so all that to say it's common practice to have those very very long-term <coughs> Um, okay, so we've got about 10 minutes left. I thought I'd just give you the last few minutes to wrap up any final comments, et cetera. <coughs> and, um, and we'll uh, we'll thank you and get ready for our next meeting. Um, okay,
6: well, thank you all very much um, for having us here. Um, again, we applaud the town's effort um, for all of the work that has gone into the historic structure, (laughs) making sure that it was not demolished, um, and putting the the really um, focused and and quality effort into this RFP process. Um, We are delighted to have been invited to to speak with you about our proposal, um, and I really hope that um, it was made evident that we have the the expertise on our team, um, and also um, that we would be a very collaborative partner. Um, I do think, you know, a lot of the early work would be making sure that um, the town is going to be supportive of our proposal and that will take many, many different forms, um, so, you know, that would be a kind of immediate next step for us to, to really dig in with you all on next steps.
2: Great. Well, thank you very much for taking so much time and energy to put together a proposal and mm-hmm. walk through the cobwebs and the, the damp and um, come spend some time with us here today. I appreciate it. And um, like I said, we'll um, circle back send any questions that we'd like back final questions in writing by the end of the day tomorrow um, so you'll have those in if there are any and uh we'll be in touch thanks so much thank you all thank, thank you very much, much. thank, thank you. you
1: nice to meet you <laughs> so i think we're going to take a break here until the next up for so about 15 minutes terry i don't know if you shut us down or What happens for the 15? All right, welcome back, everybody. Um, I guess this is for the 1030 presentation by Historic Artifact Preservation Organization. Brett, I'll hand it over to you.
2: Great. Uh, Thank you very much, Uh, Nick. This is a basic rundown of what we're going to do. We're going to introduce ourselves. You can introduce yourself for a couple of minutes. We'll have a presentation, and then we'll we'll start questions from my end. We'll go to the committee and then staff, um, and then we'll give an opportunity for you to give closing remarks. Uh, at the end of the, uh, by the end of this week, we'll have any written follow-up questions that the committee might have. I'll send them to you. You'll have a week to respond to them, and that'll basically be the process for of our back-and-forth interaction. Great. Thank Sounds you. good. Okay. So I'm Brett Pelletier. I'm the town's consultant on the RFP process and the White House Mansion reuse. Uh, Todd
1: Helwig. I'm chair of the committee here. I'm also on the Conservation Commission and the Community Preservation
0: Commission. I'm Corbin I'm the, response, I'm the Historical Commission
4: representative
3: Hi I'm Julianne Hirsch and I represent the Board of Select uh, Tom
4: Reardon I'm a member at large Diana Nicholas member at large I'm
12: Laurie Connors so I'm the planning director yep. Scott Charpentier
0: back here uh, DPW
11: John
2: Thompson facilities manager And you're the star
11: Awesome thank you well, I'm Nick Foley uh, with the Historic Group um, a container built uh, group as well. Wanted to thank you guys for the time for this. We know that um, you know our project is a little bit of an alternative, and uh, really appreciate the town's willingness to kind of hear out our proposal and see if our if our vision is aligned with the town as far as the best interest. Um, what we can do is if it's all right. We'll get going with the presentation. Go to the next. So what I'll do is I'll give you, uh, everyone a quick introduction on myself and our group and our background and kind of what led us to presenting this vision to the town as an alternative to the, um, you know, development of it with regards to residential units. Then we'll discuss the objective of the project, the community benefits, the use, as well as our projected income streams, the uh, addition of the replica greenhouse and our sustainable accessory units, and then a little bit more information on. Our container built group and TAPO. Um, I should note we are doing the project with um, Neshoba Valley Services. Unfortunately, one of their team members was not able to make it to today's presentation. So, the reason uh, why we presented this opportunity to the town is our view is that, you know, uh, well, there's many options for the property that utilizing it in terms of creating more residential units isn't the best use and really defeats the purpose of the town to acquire the property and use it as a benefit to grow both the local economic community as well as preserve beyond just the building but preserve the grounds as a whole. And I'm sure as all of you are aware when the property was originally built as a summer residence, it was very much... um, Landscaping uh, was a key part of it, as well as the beautiful grounds and gardens, and it was originally the 100 acres that's in between those two stone walls. And our view is that there's a way to preserve the building and the grounds while still generating funds on the property to pay for the cost of operating the property, as well as uh, paying back the debt on the property. And specifically, our objective behind this is to preserve the historic 1886 White Cliffs Mansion as a historic artifact for the town, as well as a landmark and an um, opportunity for public use and access. While at the same time, you know, being uh, understanding the fact that it needs to operate, we need to operate the grounds to generate funds to ensure for any ongoing preservation efforts, the operations of the facility itself, and of course to pay back the debt that uh, would be incurred during development of the property. And it's our view that well, we you know we completely understand that kind of our vision is a little bit more uh, has a lot more moving pieces and is um, a lot more uh, challenges that will need uh, will need to be overcome. That it's a better fit for the town and the property than simply a real estate uh, residential development on the property. Wouldn't so mind going to the next slide. Our proposal and vision is to is really aimed and built to achieve the town's desire for the property, which is first and foremost to reserve. Restore and preserve the historic structure of the property. And again, we also, when we say that, we're thinking beyond just the physical property, or building itself, but the actually preserve the grounds itself rather than, um, you know, build a, a development on other aspects of it. Also, we, um, our vision is that we can support the desire of the town to enhance the relationship of the community while allowing for public access. And again, we feel that the way that um, through our venue and work. Um, collaborative workspace, we feel that that's gonna bring more value and more access to the town and help achieve that point rather than uh, commercial development. The third point, uh, leveraging this to help revitalize the downtown, and even though it sits a little you know, a little uh, bit of distance from the town, we feel that there's ways to tie it in, and also by using the public parking and kind of walking downtown, that that might be an aspect that'll bring, bring in some downtown um, revitalization efforts. And of course, the fourth and fifth element is to reduce the burden on uh, municipal finances. And the last one is to enhance and improve the natural beauty and landscaping of the property. Again, bringing back the, um, you know, the original intent of the property with landscaped grounds of that nature. Would mind going to the next slide. So the main driving force behind this that we feel that our vision and our proposal separates from the other proposals that you're reviewing is to really look at this as an economic engine for the town of Northborough. So first and foremost is a place to foster economic activity, grow businesses, enable ideas and drive economic growth for the community. With the collaborative workspace will be a small business incubator and accelerator and we feel that the venue which will be a multi-use venue uh, Will enable the town um, and you know and the community to bring in events and other people to support the local businesses of the town. I'll mention a few of our community uh, community benefits, and of course, if there's any questions or comments, certainly um, let me know, and we can we can get into that. But first and foremost, beyond um, the re. Revitalization of the property. Our intent is to install a walking trail, a public walking trail around the perimeter of the property that would be open access to town members and the greater community at large, as well as the installation of the public flower gardens. We are installing, in addition to, there's a replica greenhouse that will be used as a venue, but to support the gardens, we'll be installing a, a standard greenhouse as well, and that would be open to the public additionally we've mapped out an area for a community pavilion as well as a community garden so basically kind of um, an area that individuals of the community could either partake in the um, group garden or have their own little plots for gardens as well if they want it one more slide on this the last three aspects um, this first one there the downtown public parking so again we, you know, being a town resident, one of the issues is sometimes there's not exactly great parking downtown. So we envision blocking off that lower parking lot to be utilized if there's a <coughs> downtown parking where individuals could park and then bike, walk, or scoot downtown. The last two points there is we are there'll be a public picnic area as well, again open to the the grounds, open to the prop, or open to the town members, and that's really one of the core guiding principles of our. You'll see throughout the the project here in the vision is to really create many different areas of opportunity for the members of the town to come and benefit from the property beyond just the historic building itself. And the last aspect that we feel is a very strong aspect of this is the low impact development and that way, there the idea is that we're not, we're preserving as much of the grounds as we possibly can with as little impact, but also preserving the area for future development down the road. That wouldn't be the case if all of a sudden that initial development occurred uh, with the installation of larger buildings and things of that nature. Any questions or comments on the use or the? We'll do it. I think. Okay, great. So. Um, The main uh, hold on the property is our collaborative workspace and co-working space. So basically, uh, and that's driven by kind of working with uh, mass development. They have a big collaborative workspace program that we're uh, aiming to receive grants from that, as well as their support from our, our financing. But essentially, a collaborative workspace is a place that entrepreneurs, business people, artists, craftsmen, and other creators can come together and utilize the facility to, per, to produce their goods or uh, progress their business and projects forward. Part of that is a co-working space, which um, is shared office space. So essentially between the replica greenhouse that would be installed and the mansion itself, it would convert it to offices that would be leased, as well as open workspaces where individuals would essentially pay a monthly membership and then have access to use the shared desks and meeting rooms and things like that. And it's, uh, you know, co-working spaces are very common, not so much in, you know, a suburb like this, a lot more in uh, Boston and Worcester, but we feel that as the kind of dynamic of the way that um, the work environment has changed, that a co-working space here in Northborough would bring benefits to the town and also encourage smaller businesses to, to uh, get going and utilize those resources this is i'll just read quickly the quote from mass development in regards to their collaborative workspace it's a shared work environment that catalysts community inspiring collaboration exploration and experimentation among and between local entrepreneurs artists designers scientists inventors and small business owners collaborative workspaces provide users with access to resources ideas and network and our view is that that will bring significant value to the town and lastly we will Uh, within the property private office suites that will be leased out on a monthly or or on a longer term lease in addition to the fractional lease of the workspace. Sorry about that. Uh, So the mansion itself, um, we've Based on the current condition and our objectives for the mansion, we've kind of outlined that the first floor would be relatively not leased and, not, um, and utilized as an open public gathering space as well as meeting rooms, but the offices themselves would be on the second and third floor, and they would consist of single and double suite offices as well as um, open workspaces and meeting rooms that the members of the collaborative workspace could utilize. That would be on the second and third floor, and the basement itself, we uh, have explored looking at putting in some sort of shops in there, as well as um, utilizing it for the collaborative workspace as well. I mind the next slide, the second aspect of the, uh, our vision is to return the property to its uh, use that it was from 1940s and 50s onward, which is a wedding and event venue. And what our vision is is to really build up the grounds uh, from a landscaping standpoint as one of the draws along with the historic building to bring in uh, venue and other uh, events such as corporate functions and community events. The idea is, and I have, uh, there's pictures in the future slides, but the idea is to create a replica greenhouse that would be utilized as the main event venue as well as uh, for the collaborative workspace the way that the uh, building is designed in a T like um, fashion there. Would you mind the next slide? Oh, and the last point I'll just mention on that last one is we would uh, seek to set up recurring markets. So, for example, it'd be an area for farmers markets or seasonal or holiday markets as well that we could uh, incorporate and get in. So, uh, kind of a pattern of having monthly, per se, markets that relate to the various seasons as well. So we did outline a few, um, kind of plan out the income here, because you know obviously a project like this, right? This is the biggest um, aspect of it is can it generate enough income to support the opportunity, and then most importantly pay back the loan and the debt on it. So there'd be two streams of income from the collaborative workspace, which is basically leasing of the office as well as memberships. Again, we. Uh, aim to drive majority of that from longer term leases of offices such as lawyers and other professionals like that, as well as the second opportunity is to generate venue fees, uh, use use fees from the venue. So we project um, being able to build that out over time to average about two events a month. Obviously, the weddings will be kind of heavily loaded during wedding season there. And the last uh, aspect is member contributions and donations. There is, I believe, one more (coughs) slide here that kind of breaks it down. So you'll see that um, the historic mansion itself has uh, several units in it on the second and third floor of the basement as well. The greenhouse itself, um, the way it's designed, would have six workspaces in it, uh, in addition to the area that would be utilized for the venue. And then the last aspect of the units to generate income would be our sustainable accessory units, which are units that would be around the property that could be leased as uh, art studios, uh, food service shops, maker space, a brewery unit, and remote offices as well. We also envision there being an opportunity, an area for food truck pads as well to generate uh, income off that during particular events that they would be there to support the property. This is just a kind of a recap of how we um, envision the revenue coming in for the, uh, the venue there. And uh, I'll just note real quick that the idea is that we're leasing, uh, it's a facility use fee. We won't be involved in the catering or any aspects of that. That's all gonna be handled by the third party. A few points we'll just mention on the actual uh, preservation efforts of the property itself. So our intent would be to remove the 19 60s and 70s um, additions to it, restoring the property back to its original footprint. And most importantly, the exterior work would be one of the first projects, specifically the windows, which you know, would need to be repaired, replaced, or reinstalled, as well as the wood siding, which, you know, unfortunately, obviously, there's some areas that are intact very well, and some areas that are not, um, you know, not in good condition that would need immediate repair as well as focusing on the interior preparations for the removal of the um, 1960s and 70s addition, as well as um, a full refit of the electrical, plumbing, and HVAC and, and installation of the fire system. The other key aspect to what we would be restoring would be the masonry, wood siding, and of course rebuilding the chimneys, as well as, and I should note well, may not be part of our first phase of uh, the restoration of the building. We do intend to re- uh, rebuild the original bell roofs that were on the turrets as well. Um, again, that might happen further down the road based on other development and uh, needs that take first priority to that. For funding, we are working with Main Street Bank as one of the main funding providers, as well as uh, support through mass development, both on their grant program, as well as their loan um, their loan support program as well that they, they work with, um, they've worked with Main Street Bank in the past. We also are looking at the historic tr- tax credit and have uh, been working with um, a third party that kind of supports that. Uh, that and then we also wanted to gauge from the town to see if there was an opportunity to utilize CPA funding for this, given the historic or given the uh, you know the benefit for the town and the focus of really building this out as a place for the town people to benefit from and seeing if there's access to that funding. And we, uh, yeah, so um, Epsilon Associates is a group that we just recently got connected with. But the idea is that this is a consulting group that should help uh, support on the historic tax credit, the preservation experts, as well as support uh, with the attempt to, uh, or the application for the National Register of Historic Places. So we should have more information on that in the coming days and weeks as we build out working with them. So this is a few of the sketches of the greenhouse. So. Um, some of you may know, but back, uh, the original property across the street, kind of where the Central One Federal Credit Union is located, that's where they had a greenhouse that supported the the property. And it was built uh, probably a little after the mansion and then removed in the 1920s or 30s. And our, our vision is to build a replica. Obviously, you know, um, there's not much information on it. We'd be building this in uh, to conform with modern uh, It's building codes and environmental requirements and energy efficiency and whatnot. So, you know, wouldn't be an exact replica by any means, but the idea is we follow the same footprint. You can see it's a T pattern, uh, like the original green original greenhouse, and that's what enables us to use it for both the collaborative workspace as well as the venue, where uh, this aspect here would be the venue that would be open for uh, weddings, events, corporate functions, and that part across the back there would have six, three and three on each side, six workspaces or office units, depending on what the, the need and the, um, you know, the demand from the community is on that, as well as, so when you're having a, a wedding here or event at the venue, you can block off uh, the in-between and have you know, two separate setups, as well as if it was something where it was a more of a market, uh, you know a holiday market or something like that, you could actually utilize both the spaces where smaller vendors would come in and set up tables and other things like that in the large venue hall, whereas they'd still be able to walk up and down the halls and kind of access the uh, the, uh, the offices or the workshops of the last um, other section there of the greenhouse. So there might be, this is just another rendering. And so these are the sketches that um, we've put together, but we, we do have some, Updated version uh, that the architect is working on. There might be another. Okay, yeah, so this just shows where we envision placing the greenhouse. So you can see here that the original property is right there. The dotted lines are the, are the um, 60s and 70s additions that we would uh, demolish, and then we place the greenhouse there. Um, you know, exact location may adjust a little bit, but the idea is to place it. Uh, Close to the mansion, but we don't envision the two properties being connected at least at this point. And you can just just point out real quick. So this is this uh, vertical part right here would be where the venue would be, and then the offices and shops would be on that part, stemming out to the left. (coughs) The next slide. So this is one of the. one of the sustainable units, so this particular one would be the largest of all the 14 units and it's two 40-foot shipping containers, uh, one going this way and one going this way, basically creating an L, and this would be used, uh, you know, obviously pending town approval and, um, you know, hearing their feedback, but it could be used as a brewery unit or a brewery-slash-bar unit which not only would that, you know, our vision is that it would function within itself as a uh, place for individuals to go, but also to support the venue as well as another um, area that uh, could be leased out and support weddings or events like that. So the back unit would house uh, a small brewery unit, again, you know, not not a massive corporate brewery by any means. And then this, uh, Shipping container right here would be where the bar would be built in, and obviously the overhang there. You would have seating and things like that under under it as well. Just another angle of that, and I think there's a few other. So the other aspect are sustainable accessory units. So these uh, we see coming in three different opportunities. The two pictured here are on the left would be an office uh, office unit. So Essentially, to support the outdoor collaborative workspace that would be leased within itself or could be part of the co working space where different individuals could access and utilize it. The unit on the right would be set up um, to support the work, the collaborative workspace, but more of a crafts or art um, use case. And again, most of these u- units. Um, to be interchangeable, depending, you know, for, from a use standpoint, depending on uh, depending on the demand from the community and what the you know what the needs are for the space. The only ones that would be a little uh, more set for their use would be the food service units, which would be our, uh plumbed and have um, the kitchen setups and everything like that. So that would be a little bit more of a fixed use on that one. And I believe there's a few more. <coughs> slides here. Um, and you know we know that um, you know the facades of these relatively speaking, while they are built from the structure of shipping containers, we can add different facades to them, uh, keep them uh, in their original state. obviously uh, these particular ones um, an artist has done murals and things on it. so there's many different opportunities that we can do uh, with the units to help support the aesthetic appeal of the property. A little bit on uh, the background of container-built groups. So when I uh, grew up here in town, graduated from Algonquin, and went up to college in Vermont, and uh, left college and was working for a logistics startup, kind of traveling around the country. And really, was, we were working uh, with a lot of um, uh, harbor uh, ports and things of that nature, with obviously we had access to a lot of shipping containers. And we really started to see that, okay, there's an opportunity to use these as building blocks. So we started building tiny homes out of them back in 2018. Then during COVID, we got some orders to kind of build the office unit versions of those. So that was kind of the the transition there that got us thinking beyond the tiny homes and using these sustainable units for um, other aspects of it. And then the other few points here that we'll mention is it's a very uh, sustainable approach. Because first and foremost, you're using recycled shipping containers. But secondly, they're very energy efficient, uh, especially once they're uh, fully insulated. And we use um, a lot of sustainable practices to support that aspect. And we do actually, we have some units that are already in development, about 60 to 70% complete, that we would utilize for this project as well. One more slide. So the other aspect, uh, when I was in college too, I got linked up with a group that's um, basically kind of hands-on historic preservation work. A lot of it more so around uh, nautical things. So these are just a few of the projects I've worked on. Uh, Restoring a 1932 RWK, and this is uh, one of the first projects we got going up there in Burlington, Vermont, when we were in college. But there was an old, kind of uh, dilapidated 1930s boathouse right there on um, Lake Champlain, very beautiful location. But um, you know, the owners really were in their 80s and 90s and could not really do much with it, so we worked to help preserve the building. And now, uh, well. Prior to COVID, it was uh, then kind of rehab to a mini little kind of snack shack type setup because there's a, there's a walking trail right up here, bike path, actually I should say, and the lake is in front of it. So it a, draws a lot of people to kind of come down and have their snacks and drinks and kind of just enjoy the property. And it's a very, even though the property itself is privately owned, it's very much uh, open to the public. Kind of COVID has changed that a little bit. But the idea behind our group is preservation through use. So the idea is to work on these projects and get as much community involvement as we can and then you know continue to use both during the project uh, work as well post uh, construction to allow community members to access and enjoy the, either the artifact or the property itself. So that's all right now we do have there, I think there's a few slides in the appendix for the conversation. I um, want to thank everyone uh, for your time and obviously certainly look forward to answering any questions and uh, going
2: to the next. Great, thank you so much. Um, so we'll start over here and, and I'll get the conversation started and then we can move on to the, the committee and then the staff and then we'll loop it back around. Um, a couple of things right off the, the bat um, that come to mind. How much if any, excuse me, zoning or planning, how much if any sort of regulatory uh, land use planning or zoning relief do you anticipate for this project or is this in your um, analysis sort of an as of right under the proposed zone change?
11: So. Our development partner, Mark, uh, who's been on the zoning board of his town, would probably be able to answer a lot more specific on that. And certainly in the follow up, I can we can get that to him. Um, but we do, um, you know, with the idea that the the property would be um, placed under the, the commercial zone, we do see um, that that would, you know, that our proposal would fit into that. But the specifics on that, I can definitely get more details on that for you
2: in the coming days. OK. Um, the um, the one, one thing that comes as a difference in your presentation from the initial response is the addition of Epsilon Associates, obviously, and the consideration of historic tax credits. Yeah. Can you kind of get us up to speed as to how that, or if it does at all, how that might change your underwriting assumptions or your timeline or anything. What what what, what has that done to yeah. advance?
11: Yeah, certainly because you know obviously that's going to take a, a little bit longer to tie together. We did just begin the conversation um, through our real estate development lawyer, and that was the one who kind of connected us with these individuals. So it's um, specifically. I'd have to kind of check with them because again, we we just started that conversation.
2: Okay. Um, okay. The um, let me see. the other question related to that is what, and and you may have to follow back, construction cost estimate for what is being done. Um, do you expect that to change or evolve as you introduce historic tax credits? And maybe you can talk a little bit more about the construction yes. estimates.
11: So we do, uh, we do anticipate that to adjust uh, certainly, especially um, on the sustainable unit side of it. Originally, uh, kind of our our uh, outline was they would be kind of standalone units, but when we were discussing with the architectural firm, they're going to put together a few kind of. Ideas of them being more grouped together for you know better aesthetics as well as um, more efficiency in the build out and design, and we do see that that might you know cost a little bit more than this, the units that we've built traditionally, where they've been standalone units that are relatively um, you know not that expensive to build, and they're more modular uh, in take. But um, in discussing with the engineers and the architects, they certainly want to present um, you know an alternative, uh, more fixed. Build, still using the, the units, but um, we do anticipate that that might adjust the budget that we outlined for.
2: Okay. And who is uh, the architect you're working with?
11: So th- that was also a recent update with the lawyer we were working on. Um, Acropolis, A-C-R-O-P-O-L-I-S. And we can send um, as part of kind of the follow up packet more information on that.
2: Okay, great. Um, let's, see. The, let's talk about construction costs a little bit because I think that's the, the big question that's yeah. looming. Um, I, I don't know if you were able to review or the previous work that the town had done with um, you know uh, varying estimates of anywhere between five and ten million dollars in. Costs, basically, just to get the building up to speed and to make improvements and it, it, expand the use. Um, how do you reconcile that against your assumption that you're going to spend about two million dollars in hard costs on restoration, and um, you know maybe a little one point eight million on soft cost contingencies, demolition, site work, etc.? Yes.
11: Yeah, so you know we certainly uh, are aware that that's kind of there's you know. Big discrepancy between those two numbers, and I think a lot of it comes down to our group itself, um, especially the woodwork, right? The exterior work—that's what that's what we do. That's what our group does. So we envision a lot of um, uh, we call them like work program sessions, basically. So we're able to get that together, and you know, while we're certainly not um, thinking that that's going to be facilitating the whole project, obviously, any of the electrical, plumbing, and all of that nature will be hired out. But we do see. Based on you know our ability of past projects and how the group's uh, is functions, that we're able to offset the cost by doing uh, you know having our, our members do the work. And again, you know, knowing that uh, what we've learned with projects like this, right, is they kind of take on a a culture and an atmosphere of their own, right? Where we definitely think that um, especially. Um, the way that we're seeing the development happen, right? It's not a massive day one, full on multi-million dollar complete rehab of the building, right? We would do it in stages, first and foremost, uh, obviously any immediate structural or needs of the building that would be addressed immediately, but then we would begin the restoration of the development work on the exterior and interior, focusing foremost on uh, the interior aspects of it, um, especially on the property itself, so that we can begin to start to kind of scope out what the, um, the co- collaborative workspace would be and then progress the exterior of the building as um, you know as we need to with consideration for the various aspects. And also that's when we see the benefit of using kind of our sustainable modular units is that, uh, again, we already have three builds and those are relatively a lot quicker to build so that we can build them off site and then bring them to the property so that they would have more uh, you know, a quicker ability to kind of start generating revenue that would then help facilitate the rest of the development costs.
2: And this may be an option for follow-up, but um, that sort of staged approach or that, uh, that phased approach, does that, is that possible or is that reconciled with the historic tax credit funding sources and program that would, you're exploring now, or is that a kind of separate path?
11: That, yeah, that's a good question. I'd have to look more into okay. it um, and, again, kind of get the advice of the experts on that one. But we've certainly kind of articulated um, to them what our you know, our goal and kind of our project timeline is. But that's something that, obviously, we'd have to make sure that we're in alignment with um, so that we can obtain any of those credits and not create a situation that wouldn't work.
2: Um, two last questions, and then I'll turn it over. Um, you just mentioned the timeline. What what is your rough estimate on timeline?
11: So we're looking at eighteen months, the kind of the big picture aspect of it. Um, we do see a scenario where we uh, expect some of the units, the sustainable units, to be six months um, to get those up and running, um, and then depending on the demolition aspect of it, we um, you know we see an aspect of. Utilizing the property in the backside of the sustainable units while generating revenue while the main development is still ongoing.
2: Okay. And other things as they come, the, the turret roofs yeah, so and would, things like that, that we would right? Anticipate would
11: be further down the road, the road, right? Uh, I think that would be an example of um, something that may happen year two, three, or four or beyond that, right? You know, depending on funding and what we're working mm-hmm. on. Um, but obviously weighing the tax credit aspect of it, that might accelerate that. Um, but the idea is to first and foremost, you know, focus on the immediate needs and then work on some of the aesthetics uh, as well.
2: Great. Uh, the last question I have is on the on the sustainable accessory units, these container. Um, the examples you showed, are they in place right now that are up and running? Uh, what's the what, – where are these? What's your previous experience? I know you said you had some residential yeah, tiny so houses and some on the commercial side. Maybe you could just give us a yeah, flavor so of what that built looks like.
11: About a dozen of them, I'd say, uh, eight tiny homes, and the remainder being kind of the office units. Um, and actually, when we I started everything, it was in Portland, Oregon. So that's where they have a community out there called uh, Green Acres, which is kind of a collaborative workspace, but more of an artist and kind of um, craftsman workspace, then ours would be a little bit more geared towards collaborative workspace, more office type setup. Uh, but that's, I think, the best example where we have two units. that are the 20-foot units. They're basically art studios, for lack of a better word. Um, and they're in this area right down, right, by the, uh, right on the river there. And it's um, kind of like an eccentric art community, basically, where they have a little pavilion. They do venues, stuff like that. And then there's different shops around it. The shops themselves are actually made out of various shipping units. We participated in help building one of those, but not not the main um, building that are on site there.
2: That's really neat. Those are cool.
11: Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a cool uh, environment out there. You know, it's a little different than out here. That's for sure.
2: Well, terrific, Um, Mr. Chairman. I'll turn it back over to you for the committee's input. (coughs) All right. Um, I guess I'll kick it off.
1: So. Uh, it seems like you've got a lot going on on the site in terms of different types of uses and who is gonna manage that and have you done anything that complicated before
11: yeah so the idea you know I would manage it along with our group um, even post post construction right that's kind of you know the uh, part of the vision here um, my background is with with startups, logistics startups, and scaling those. So, while I, um, and obviously building the tiny homes and working on those particular projects. So, while I, um, you know, specific experience with this type of project, um, it's, it's a lot with the moving pieces of the startup. So, I, and I, you know, understand kind of your concern there that there's a lot that would go on, but that's exactly kind of how we build these startups, right? And we built them from the ground up to now they're in 60, 70 markets. And ultimately at that point it's you know managing all the moving pieces Um, on our end right also as well as to keep things even though you know I know in our explanation here and kind of looking at there is a lot of moving pieces but at the end of the day really keeping focus on the simplicity of it so building the units themselves that's fully within our wheelhouse the developer uh, mark they're focusing on the building of it and then post um, post-construction, we do have a member who's an event planner and coordinator, so she's kind of going to manage the wedding venue side of it, and then I'll focus on uh, the collaborative workspace and managing the co-working space and that aspect as well.
0: Thank you. Anybody? Norm?
11: Sure, I'll go next.
0: So, my, my primary interest is in the mansion itself. Okay and restoration of a mansion like that requires a lot of skill and a lot of experience and a lot of rules so I'd like to know who you would have that would work with you to make sure you understand the Department of Interior specifications for restoration that they have to be followed on the work on that mansion yes
11: so that's part of the uh, arrangement with um, Epsilon Associates so they're um, and they um, can't think of the individual's name, but that was part of the conversation as well, because that was kind of an exact concern they brought up. Is even though our group does a lot with historic artifacts, um, it's a lot more of the work, you know, the work itself and working on the boats and the projects, and it may not happen, you know, not as unique as this particular challenge. So we are aware that we would have to have a specific, um, an expert that would help manage and oversee and you know uh, support that as well.
3: okay um my turn so on page 13 of your proposal you talk about proposed ownership structure and it sounds like there would be two groups one the hapo and one the white cliffs preservation organization well, how do you envision white cliffs preservation organization coming together so the
11: yeah so essentially um and yeah, I can definitely add some clarity to that because uh, how we've done these projects in the past, right, and especially with uh, the ship, right, a separate entity is formed that actually purchases it and even though we're, we're part of the group HAPO, a new LLC is set up. So that was kind of the intent with that. It would actually be the White Clips Preservation Organization that we would set up to facilitate the, the transaction and obviously, um, you know, explore with the town, you know, whether a the purchase is more in line with what the vision is or a longer-term lease of it? Um, does that answer your question?
3: Yeah, sort of. Sort of. Um, I, it just, so, so the White Cliffs Preservation Organization will own it? It's
11: If that's the, yeah. I mean, if, if the idea is either would own it or lease it, depending on you know, the conversation with the town and then that would function, would operate the two, uh, the venue and the, um, the collaborative workspace. Okay. And I just have
3: a short answer question. Yeah. How many people do you think the greenhouse would accommodate for an event?
11: So right now it's 175 to 200. Okay. Thanks.
4: So my question is on your vision for Whitecliffs mansion and uh, the surrounding landscape grounds so your proposal to recreate the greenhouse and restore gardens and pathways etc and on on top of that you're going to have 15 sustainable units that are modular and they're really not shown on the site plan as how those would be positioned on the property and how that ties in with this recreation of a 19th century estate
11: exactly yes so um, modern meets. Past, right, but uh, So the uh, back side of the property is where we envision those, so they're out of sight from uh, the main road as well as uh, the gardens taking up the front space. And I think a lot of that gets into um, how we would build out both the, uh, we're, we're seeing them kind of in two different pods, if you will. One where the brewery is, where the food service ones would be, and then the other ones where the office and workshops would be, just to have a little bit of separation for those. And we do, um, I guess, is kind of tying that into the aesthetics of the property, right? Part of that is um, our our um, vision is to kind of place one of the gardens in front of them, so that it's uh, kind of obscuring some of the some of the view, at least from the venue, right? Because also we got to take into consideration, you know, the event venue and, and viewing that as well. Um, but the sustainable units would be across the back, essentially parking lot arranged in an L uh, L formation. Does that help answer your question? Well, would it would
4: have been helpful if we had a site plan representing how these pieces relate to each other?
11: Yes, yeah, so that's something I can send over, absolutely, as part of the, the follow-up. Um, there is uh, a much more detailed, I know there was like an original sketch of it, but now we've got a firm working on kind of um, you know, much more detailed and more correct uh, and representative drawing that I think might help shed some insight into that.
4: Have you done any of these sustainable units in the state of Massachusetts?
11: Yes. Uh, well, the tiny home ones. So built-
4: Are they functioning houses now?
11: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, not. Not in the the particular one here is more of like a three season one, so it's not. Not utilized in the winter, at least that I'm aware of. But
4: well, um, it's it'll be a real challenge to get these approved. If they're, you know, know how do you handle fire protection? So I fire yeah, alarms.
11: I, uh, I should note that they are, even though they're built out of a shipping container. I mean, they're built following all the codes. You're basically just building within the shipping container. So it should, um, you know, we build them to meet the codes itself. Um, and I think that's also why the architect mentioned, you know, we might need to go the course of, instead of them being standalone units, like w- what we've originally envisioned and how we've originally built them, but really tying them together to some more of a fixed structure that would, of course, at that point, allow for more opportunity to uh, meet all the codes and then ideally, you know, better on the, um, our higher likelihood of the approval aspect. So I think that's something that um, that group working on can kind of help solve both of those with getting a better visual of where these would be and then showing what the fixed version of the structure would look like beyond just the, the individual mobile units that we were originally envisioning for the property.
4: Is this Acropolis design that you're, you're working with for the, these sustainable units?
11: Oh, the design firm. Yeah. Yeah. So we just started that. Um, we do. There is another group, though, out of uh, California that might help with some of that as well. That builds specifically more of the um, more of the fixed versions of the units. So I think that that will help on that aspect.
12: So adding to the discussion about the container <coughs> construction and. Um, just sort of the long-term, you know, vision of this committee for that property. You know, what's the life cycle of one of one of those units? And um, you know, what happens to the financial model if you talk about taking? They can be deconstructed. So then, what happens to the financial model if that's not there? I think I think all of us are struggling a little bit with the lack of permanence with that aspect of the solution, both financially and physically. You know, it's hard to develop the site completely if you have an area where you have basically temporary structures, right?
11: Yes, and I think that that's um, kind of what's also leading where there'll be more fixed than maybe we originally envisioned for this based on, uh, I think, a lot of considerations. Uh, But the purpose, you know, the original idea behind them being more modular and just how they're built, right, and how they're, you know, they can be moved anyways, was that it wasn't necessarily creating a, uh, you know, ongoing, you know, impacting the property for anything future development down the road, but I think that um, what we're looking at, they would be a lot more fixed aspect, uh, would be fixed in nature, and certainly um, the, Kind of to your point on how uh, they're the lifespan of them, but they're uh, they're incredibly well built, and they will. They're not to say that they're only going to last 25 years or anything like that. Um, it's just to demonstrate that if there was a future uh, change down the road, and again, 25, 50, 60 years from now, whatever it is, that they would be easier to dismantle, and in doing so, you would have less impact on the property than uh, traditional built um, development or construction.
12: So when you say they're well built, for instance, I see a lot of glazing on them. Is that like, is it double glazed? Are you, you know, what's the R value of those walls? If you basically, if you're starting with a metal wall?
11: Yeah, so we do, um, they vary uh, one of the R, uh, R32, uh, I believe, on the sides, and then, um, what we do is so the metal wall, then the vapor barrier, and then we do the uh, full spray foam insulation. And you, you know we're building it out of the two by fours inside, so you do have uh, incredibly well uh, insulated. It's kind of like the basement effect, right? So in the in the summer they're a lot cooler inside, and then in the winter they're you know they retain the heat as well on that.
12: But the majority of them are basically doing so like two or two and a half of those types of walls, right? And then they tend to be very open otherwise. So it's, it seems to me that sort of this blended construction.
11: Yes. Um, as far as- But you're as saying like
12: the, that those walls are all as weather tight for Massachusetts weather and can sustain, you know, all, all four seasons.
11: Yeah, yeah, they, they um, yeah, especially, mm-hmm. I mean, we have, I mean, some of the tiny homes. They're, you know, Portland, Oregon. They're up by Mount Hood, and they're they're very well insulated. But you're correct in the sense that, uh, especially like the office unit that has a much more of a glass wall, would be different than, um, uh, you know, if there was more insulated space on that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we get
5: to the,
2: the staff, I had just a follow-up to something came up. Um, parking on site. What is you? What is your um, uh, your projection of how much parking you would pr- provide? Assume you need to create additional parking because you're going to be putting some of those um, sustainable units on the existing parking areas. What is the projected cap- site capacity for parking in your program?
11: So, uh, as far as the downtown parking, we envision using that lower lot, and you know, not necessarily limiting or reserving specific space, right? And we anticipate, obviously, you know, different events, right, might need it. But a, a key part of the venue is uh, for any of the larger events, we're really aiming to create partnerships with hotels uh, down at the apex to have parking off-site and have the shuttle in because ultimately, at the end of the day, we know that, you know, the parking is one of the considerations there. So trying to get as much off-site parking for those larger venues is part of the strategy.
2: Okay. Uh, I will turn it over to staff members for their questions.
5: Um, so in your source of funds, you identify approximately $1.5 million in donations. So uh, can you speak to that? Uh, have those donations been committed, and if not, what is your fundraising strategy?
11: Yeah. So a lot of that donation uh, kind of comes in two uh, kind of two avenues, right? So the donation of the member time, which is kind of part of that in-kind service, it's to factor in and account for that. Um, and we've already outlined um, kind of our volunteer list and kind of starting to map out what individuals are interested in a rough time uh, time commitment on that end. The second aspect is more on the um, Material aspect of it, so that's what we're focusing on right now, especially with um, you know my uh, current full time job is logistics for building and construction companies. So we have you know well established relationships with them where we're discussing how we can get them to participate in either heavily reduced material or some of the material donation as well, which we anticipate to uh, make up a portion of that as well.
8: Also,
2: thank you. Chairman, do you
0: want to
1: oh, one more time? Yeah. yeah, I'm also. I don't have anything further. Anybody else can jump in if they do.
0: I did. Take a second. Here it is. So, for the sustainable accessory okay. units, is there plumbing, power, restrooms? How how is that? How are those facilities going to be brought into those units? Some of them are for food processing, they're going to need certain things. Yes. If it's an artist, they're going to need something else. If it's a kiln, if it's, it's, they'll need heat. You know, they'll need something for firing up ceramic. How is that all going to be in those individual units, and especially the uh, water and plumbing, and electrical, and restrooms?
11: Yeah. So the the units themselves wouldn't have the restrooms, but obviously the food service one would be fully plumbed, uh, and that one would be more of an, a fixed unit to the property the other uh, units would have uh, electric hookup to it. We don't envision like the offices or the uh, arts, the art studio units would have uh, the water unit as well, or at least have access to it. And the units that we built in Oregon, um, they're, it's like a kind of an RV setup type deal, right? Where they basically plug into both the plumbing and the electrical. Um, Those particular ones, the for the artist studio, there's not any plumbing in them, but um, for our units here, we, that could, you know, that could certainly be um, a- added to the to the particular art studio units.
5: Thank you.
3: Can I ask a question? Here, yeah, sure. Are you done? Yes, I am. So, um, the idea of collaborative workspace is very intriguing, mm-hmm. especially post COVID and how office space is. In transition, um, but how does how would you kind of do a market analysis with this ever changing need?
11: So um, what we've done, and actually our the company that I work for, we we office out of uh, Workbar, one of the kind of Boston-based collaborative workspaces. So we have been discussing with them kind of some of those aspects to get a sense of what the the need is of the community. Um, And in general, um, what our strategy is is to work with them to kind of help get a little bit more foundation of uh, compiling that particular business entity and also getting a better sense of the need. But that's why we we really are focusing on the, the, the committed leases of the private offices, right? And the, the actual member-based workspace being a smaller part of that, because we, we envision that you know taking a lot more time to grow, and, and the revenue on that is is much smaller anyways than the full lease of the building. So the uh, main revenue of the collaborative workspace itself is gonna be on the leased, either single or double suite offices, and then any of the kind of member working revenue we envision kind of slowly building on time over that.
5: I see. Okay. Um, I have a follow-up question. So you're talking about your uh, your members who would donate their labor. Are these like trained craftsmen? Yeah. Like are they plumbers and electricians? And do they live locally?
11: Yeah, so uh, that is the unique thing about the group. It's very much people that are very hands-on, right? Especially, um, you know, people that like being involved. There are plumbers and electricians in the group, a lot more woodworkers. I would note, though, any of the plumbing and electrical work, obviously that's gonna all be hired out and done by uh, trained and licensed professionals. Um, A lot of um, the members themselves, though, they'll have their own business. Like, you know, for example, uh, you know, Mark being a member, right, he's gonna donate um, a lot of his time and the uh, his business's time as well, um, but we very much hands-on individuals that will be working on the project. Yes.
5: And how many are we talking about? So about 30,
11: about thirty, about thirty. Yeah,
5: and and it it varies.
11: Um, we we kind of call it the snowball effect, right? So obviously, when a project like this starts, it's a very uh, small thing, and there's you know some interest, but then as the process gets bigger and the opportunity there and the reality of it becomes, you know, becomes more real, then that's when we get a lot more involvement and we're able to do better funding or or donation drives and we're able to drive more kind of engagement with the group once there's more tangible, um, you know, like a a project underway versus kind of just the, you know, conception of the project.
8: Good.
1: Anybody else?
3: I have one more question <laughs> so if I if I wanted to have a small party yeah. not in the greenhouse
11: yeah
3: could I use the mansion
11: yeah okay yeah. and also another thing would be like the pavilion might be an option for that or the brewery uh, unit that we described would be an option for that as well okay so we definitely you know envision kind of smaller event, you know opportunities for those as well
3: Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Thank
2: you. All right. I guess that's it for questions. Well, thank you very much. We certainly appreciate your time and efforts and um, your diligence. I know you came back to the property yesterday to do another walkthrough. I hope that was fruitful. And um, like I said, the process going forward, we're going to solicit any additional questions that we might have to follow up with you in writing over the next week. You'll have those by the end of the day tomorrow, and we'll give you about a week to get those back to us if, if there are any. Um, and that is basically our expectation of sort of the, the end of our back and forth. Uh, we'll have all the information the committee needs um, hopefully by then, um, and we'll progress from there. So I want to thank you very much for your time and energy and your, um, your vision. It's really um, quite remarkable, and, um, and we thank you for that.
11: Thank you we appreciate it as well we know it's a different take and a lot more uh, moving pieces but appreciate you guys giving us the time to kind of present that and at least put it on your radar and um, you know we're happy to see where things go and how we can uh, help support the town in any way great thanks so much thank, thank, you. thank you and before we adjourn I did want
2: to just mention that if anybody <clears throat> anybody in the audience today or anybody in the public has a comment they want to circulate to us, you can send it directly to me and i will distribute all of those to the to the um, committee so um you can take a card if you want my email's on the website it's b at kirkcoe.com thanks so much so are you is the where
1: do we go from here so we're going to send them the
2: yeah um, um excuse yes, me we're not we're not adjourned uh, we're not
1: adjourned so. we're not adjourned so
2: if you oh could. sorry just <laughs> go out it the hallway. hallway. That's I fine. Apologize. So, um, yeah, basically, we're um, the the next steps, and I'm sure once John is feeling better, um, he'll he'll uh, circulate some information. But the next steps are we're going to, um, like I said, by the end of the day tomorrow, I request the committee send to me any follow-up questions you would like answered um, in writing. Um, I will circulate that to the respondents by you know five o'clock tomorrow evening, and expect responses by five o'clock Thursday of next week. So I'll have those all back to you. Um, in the meantime, we, do we have? I'm sorry, I've forgotten. Do we have the um, the the sheet that um, the analysis sheet? No. No, I
5: believe no. uh, John. Okay. We're going
2: to circulate an Excel, a simple Excel right. sheet so you can tabulate all of your, you know, each ca- each, each category. And then I will um, organize that and, and aggregate all of that information for our next meeting. Um, and then I, the proposal is that at that meeting we will have all of our information, we will have done all of our thinking, we will have asked all of our questions, and we can deliberate in earnest and potentially uh, make a decision at that time or leave opportunity. The opportunity to continue deliberation
1: Laura, right, do you think John wants to set up a meeting now or does he want to wait till we get some of this other stuff done to come up with one
5: then uh, I think we should probably schedule another meeting make it a tentative date because um, of course we don't have John here and Aaron. I know we want to be part of that conversation um, so I... then we'll confirm with him
0: afterwards is it something we want to have
2: within the next two weeks weeks, sooner is better than later. I agree, and I would suggest that we do it um, while things are still fresh in our mind.
5: And it'll probably be a longer meeting, I would imagine.
2: Yeah, I would reserve a couple of hours for that. Okay.
12: For what it's worth, of leaving the country on the twenty eighth for two weeks.
2: So the twenty
0: sixth might work.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So you know just to remind you by the 13th this friday we'll have questions from you folks by the 19th we'll have a response from all of the from all of those questions in writing so really any time after that i think is probably appropriate the
12: 26th
1: is a good option for me it's
0: fine for me why don't we propose the 26th and see if it fits john's calendar Well, if it's going to be uh, – I mean, if you say
1: we're going to need an equivalent amount of time, I don't – I mean, now was
2: as good a time as any. Mm-hmm. Or every 9 a.m. to whenever. Yeah, that's fine with me. <coughs> we'll, we'll be fresh and recently caffeinated. Okay. So
0: I, I just want to make sure I understand something. So um, – There'll be an analysis sheet sent around and individually we kind of work it out we bring it to the next meeting and that's when we actually do the nuts and bolts discussion about it right is that
2: yeah you'll send <coughs> excuse me you'll send them um, all you'll send those to me i'll tabulate all of the committees um, i'll aggregate all of the committees um i don't, right. I don't like that idea okay that's fine you- um only because
0: todd will say something that might change my mind <laughs> and if i work independent I don't feel I have the whole. Spectrum. That's fair. So That's I, I, don't fair. mind filling the form out at all, but I, 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 don't want, I don't want my number to be put into a spreadsheet and everything calculated out and spit out. I, I want to hear from everybody on the committee why, why they, they made a selection. I don't,
2: so don't like That's fine. That's entirely up to the committee. I'm, so i So I don't mind, mind it. sending it to you, I,
0: so you can compile it. But I just want
1: us to have. It. Sure. Preserve the right to change your answers. It's yeah. Not the SATs.
0: That's right. Okay. <laughs> That Would be my only comment on that. It's a
3: good
5: point,
2: whatever. Whatever, whatever the is, I was to say, I don't know why I have no strong feeling one way or the other.
8: Will that meeting be open to the public?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think they're all open to the public. Okay. Just the question is whether it's all in it. person. Um, uh, if they're coming here, it's going to be in yes. person.
12: Okay, is there any benefit? I can share screens here, but I, I don't know if you would tabulate if we would be looking at that or if we're going to have any additional
2: visual material to it's possible i mean
12: i guess we'd get
1: those fans yeah anyway. mm-hmm. okay. one's fine. uh anything else we do minutes no you can't do minutes
4: oh
1: i've been told we're not going to do minutes oh right. So right we're not going to do minutes right. good. i like that one more thing <laughs> anything else anybody Motion, if nothing. Move to adjourn.
0: I'll make a motion to adjourn today's session on White House Committee.
12: Second.
1: All right, uh, Julianne.
3: Aye.
1: Norm. Aye. I vote aye. Tom. Aye. Diana. Aye. We adjourn. Thank you,
0: everybody. So much. Thank, Thank you. you.